Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of the Glasgow Museums podcast. I'm your host, Harry Dunwalt, and today we're coming to you from the People's Palace, where I'm joined by learning assistant Laura Clark. Hello, nice to meet you. I'm Laura Clark and I've worked in the People's Palace for over 10 years now. Now, Laura, for people who don't know um, the story of the People's Palace, and I find that very hard to believe because it's one of the, the most best-loved museums in the city, I would say. Can you tell us a wee bit about the history of the palace? Yeah, there's a lot of history that <laughs> goes along with it, especially from... And you're actually quite surprised as well with people who are from Glasgow that don't know about the People's Palace within Glasgow Green as well, which is quite scary. But with the, the reason why the museum was open was because it was basically for the people of the East End of Glasgow and it was to open up the rest of the world to them because when you think about it and the dynamics within Glasgow at this point in time or even in the past, you've got the East and the West and everyone's like, oh no, it's all over the West End, all this stuff is. But over the East End of Glasgow, you've got amazing park and then you've got the People's Palace situated in the middle of it. So that opened up in 1898 and it was Lord Rosebery who was kind of um, implemented it in a sense because they don't, there was nothing over this side of the city. There was the big green place, but there was nothing there for the people to interact with as well. So, and it's always kind of since that day, I think, um, really held close to people's hearts because it is telling the story of Glasgow. It's not telling you, oh, there's a painting up in the wall. It's telling you about the actual people that lived there, even though when initially first opened up, it was a collection of absolutely everything. Um, quite funny story that I get told about was on the ground floor, where our welcome room is at the moment. It used to be the reading rooms, and that's where you would go in. It was like a wee small library, and there was a man, or I think it was a man, who used to sit and watch, hey, in case you thought, oh, I quite, quite like that book. Hold on a wee minute, I'll just take that hand with me. Or I quite like that picture. And they take it out so you wouldn't steal anything. But then directly across from it where the shop is, that used to be the reading, um, the gentleman's room. The gentleman's so, room? The gentleman's room that I get told. So it was only the men who were allowed to get in there and associate with each other. And do whatever they do. Probably talk rubbish. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but then when you're up to the, the first floor, that was a collection of animals around the world and there was just a there was like armory and all that that was in this place and meadows and everything else then the top four was the paintings and the statues they what i know that they, they said that was in the building but now as it's progressed through the years it's changed over to being telling the story of those people that visited the place and it's quite heartwarming the kind of stories that you can hear about and even though people had hard times they always there was something that they kind of they clung on to and everybody was Together, and it was a very, very much a community place as well. So, especially if you just went down to the green, let's go into the People's Palace. Let's have a wee wonder about. And over the years, and how much it's definitely changed in the, the area around it. So, sorry. So, so what, that's really interesting. <laughs> and the fact that you know the, the rooms have been used for such different um, functions. I mean, a gentleman's mm-hmm. room. I mean, that just shows how much society has changed in, in, in the past hundred years. Could you tell me, from a visitor's point of view, what do you th- what displays, what particular displays are the most popular 
if you can share that with us. Well, I give you straight away the single end and the Branovitz. <laughs> right, so the single end is very much for the, the kind of older generation, if you want to put it that way, because people will say, oh, my granny, you still live in a single end? Uh, well, my dad was born in a single end. His, his brother and his sister were born in single ends. And I don't see my dad being that old, but then that's a generation. But when that's definitely for grannies with and grandparents, like telling the grandkids, this is what it used to be in the lab. <laughs> no, who, who would live in a one room? I mean, like, where's the toilet? No, but you all slept together. And there's, you only had a bath once a week. And you wash your hair once a week. Can't be doing with that. Of course, obviously, they kind of wash their hair every day and have a shower every day. Um, so, and then you go along with that Billy Connolly's banana boots because it very much he ties in with the stories and when you tell the younger children and then, because every time, is the banana boot still here? You're like, oh, oh, right, they're on the mid floor. You can go up there and look at, oh, I remember seeing them. Like, did you actually see them? Because when Billy Connolly first wore them, it was the 1975 and it was up at Aberdeen. And when you think about a guy with a big massive hair and a big massive beard walking out with a black leotard on, for Glasgow, that's not exactly going to be... <laughs> it's a bit odd, <laughs> you know what I think? And then when you tell all the kind of stories and how he tells the story of Glasgow and the people and about going out and like things like for New Year, because especially up at the single end, because it's talking about New Year and him telling when we get out for after the pubs and that shot, they're walking, him and his pals are walking down the street, listening out for a party. Party up there, let's go up there. Oh, aye, we know Jimmy. Aye, there's always somebody called Jimmy, supposedly. So they're in there and they end up having a rare tear. So they did. So, yeah, they are the two most asked for displays that are definitely still there. But then once people are in and then they start going round and they go, All right, okay, this um, the steam is there. And then, oh, is that right? And then they're looking at everything to do with the steam, and it's only women that went in and it's kind of how much the conversation that especially if we've got like care homes and that that came in it's really interesting how like the kind of the older ones will say I, I used to go to the steamy why well, I used to go to the steamy with my mum or it was just that whole kind of brings back the memories and especially when the kids are up at the single end they go uh, did it smell like that and I'm like oh <laughs> I'm like, it's just a bit older smelling <laughs> so you work in the learning side Laura so how do you um, how do you share what a single end is living in a one roomed house with a school group? For how right. do you get that across? Right. Um, to start off, fifth of any classes, especially for the lower primary, which is like primary one to three, that concept of a tenement building just doesn't come across to them. They just they know that you have flats and all that, but they just can't understand so many people living in one building in so many houses within that building. So basically where I start it off is like um, talking about um, the East End of Glasgow and I kind of open it up as if like, let's imagine you're alive many, many moons ago and you are living in the East End of Glasgow, but you have a new, and you're from a poor family, from a very big family and there were lots of people living over the side of the city and asking what type of house mm -hmm. you think those people would have lived in. And it's amazing some of the things you get. You get, yeah, lived in a wooden house. 
<laughs> I lived in a show house, I'm like, no, it's not the three little pigs kind of type thing. <laughs> um, but uh, they just kind of, and then you try to open up about a tenement building, and a lot of them don't understand what a tenement is, so I explain it like red sandstone building, bay windows. Usually got the shops at the bottom of it, and then explain, like, imagine everybody in your family sleeping in your bedroom with you, because you don't have any other mm, rooms, that's it. And they're like, what? And then I was like, well, think about this, we one room family of ten. You've only got three beds. Who are you going to sleep in the bed with and all that? And it's just trying to, to kind of open up with just that conversation to start. And then when you show them the room, even once you get up to the single end, they still go, no, but that's not the full house. Where's the, where's the toilet? You're like that? No, this, this is your kitchen. This is your living room. This is your, where you go to the toilet, <laughs> where you sleep, where you get washed, everything. And they're like, kind of, all right. Okay, that's not even nice. Can I? They, they just even seen it. They're like, wow. So, Lauren, for people who who don't know what a single end is, where in fact was the toilet? Right. Okay. You had the toilet. <laughs> this is the one that always gets everybody's conversation happening. Kids like, oh, that's fabulous. Um, so you had the chamber pot that was in the room that you use at night time. A lot of Glaswegians called it a gazunder. Well, why was it called a gazunder? Why do you think? Because it goes under the bed. Because it goes under your bed. Uh, and then your toilet was out in the landing, especially in the east end of Glasgow. Um, so, big tenant building. You had like four single ends on each floor, and you had one toilet that you were sharing. It was potentially more than 40 people using one toilet. And how do kids understand that? We shock and horror. <laughs> um, they they kind of get it now because we show them the kludgy which used to, I've never ever called it a cludge of the toilet, but um, the toilet was called a cludge and showing them the image of the gorbals, um, the two wee boys playing the stairs. That's quite a famous photograph, yep. that, isn't it? Oh, especially, it's not exactly the nicest with the, we've not discussed that, but it's in the picture. But then also explaining about, um, like your toilet paper's really expensive, and that. so what they use is toilet paper, and you get things like moss, no, leaves, no, <laughs> that kind of thing. So try to get them to understand that you used um, newspaper as a toilet paper because a wee woman told me oh, the only time they ever bought um, toilet papers when there was anybody coming to visit the house, and if it wasn't used, they used to sell it back to the shop. I never ever heard of that. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what wee woman said. So I don't know if that's true or not that selling it back to the shop. Can you imagine going into Asda? I've no use them. Can I just sell them back to you? But no. <laughs> So thinking about some of the other displays in the building, Laura, mm-hmm. are there any displays that, are, that you think, from a, from what you've heard from uh-huh. visitors and even staff perhaps, mm-hmm. that are particularly challenging for yeah. people? the Glasser family portrait. Okay, why is that particularly challenging? Because um, even though the merchants and all that kind of really opened Glasgow up to being a wealthy city, there's such a dark history behind it, especially that... A lot of people, even within Glasgow and out with Glasgow, don't realise how much we were involved within the slave trade at that time and why your streets are called Virginia Street, why you've got Glasgow Street. And it's kind of one of those ones, mm, I, I kind of I kinda vaguely remember somebody telling me, but actually physically challenge that and say, well, what do you think about that now? And then to look at the Glasgow family portrait and... Talk about somebody who's probably held in quite high esteem within Glasgow, John Glassford, is a big, massive tobacco merchant, 
brought a lot of wealth into the city, not only just through that, but his other businesses in that as well. But he had somebody who was a slave that was in his house, a black slave, that we don't know where he came from, but um, the only reason we do know, because there's no ledgers, there's nothing that's documented where the slave he came from would have been called a manservant in the house, and he actually challenged that fact of their kind of seeing as people that high and wealthy, but they had a black slave in the house to show off their wealth and having friends round in a tea party or, or whatever a night and then bring it, look how good we are, we've got a black slave here, so we do. And that was seen as a norm back then, that was people that were seen as not even human, they were just seen as something that's a commodity, just use them as you wish. And that even happened in Scotland, because, and it's very scary actually when you think about it, um, in the whole grand scheme of things, um, Stephen Mullen that we were talking to, he does a lot to do with the um, runaway slave. You know, saying about, like, I think it's like 90 black slaves in the whole of Scotland. But you don't think, oh, that's not a lot. But when you think about these people are getting taken from Africa to... Imagine going away from Africa into Scotland or even away over to the, the Americas and just not understanding it and then really challenging that fact that People were exploited back then as they are today as well. So would it be fair to say that you think that some of the displays that people need in some of the collections <laughs> are particularly challenging? Aye. What yeah. other aspects of the displays you think are particularly challenging for people? I think now, um, to do with like the kind of suffragettes, we obviously were kind of celebrating the fact that these women did that, but then there's so many people that are forgotten in the sense that there was a big rallies that were in there was a rally in Glasgow Green and women who stayed round the local area were working class and they couldn't they couldn't be involved in it because they, they supported it but they couldn't be involved in it just because of the sheer fact that it was hand to mouth and it was like can I, I can't I know I can see these women doing that and it's kind of shown a, a class division as well even back then before the women got the right to vote but it inspired women are working class to definitely get behind it. You've got like people like Mary Barber. Like Mary Barber wasn't working class, but she rallied a full community to come together during the First World War with the rent strikes because of the private landlords basically what to raise the rents. And, and that's a woman doing that. Do you know uh, exa- and also, I understand that Mary Barber was also linked to the early labour movement yep, as uh-huh, well. Yep. Do we have any collections relating to Mary Barber? Yes, in, we've in got a collection in the top floor, right next to the Jimmy Reid portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just as you come up the top of the stairs, in the back of where the display is, there's a care Hardy there as well. So there is so the first Scottish labour leader. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but then there's loads of other things within... Things like um, with Jimmy Reid as well, is there a kind of loss with us now that we don't rally together for the working class? Like when they had the work in the shipyards, is that getting lost now? Do we do we not band together? Is it more off of ourselves kind of type thing? Because how many people used to come together? I know we still have big rallies for like climate change and everything like that as well, but to actually have a full to have the whole world actually seen, like we Jimmy Reid with the working, everybody across the world kind of actually kind of started to see this happening. So it is that. And that links in with a, a fantastic set of paintings that are on the top floor, just kind of almost floating under the door yep. by Ken Curry. Yep. And am I right? They're called the Glasgow History Murals. Uh-huh. Could you tell us a wee bit about those murals? 
Um, was paintings. Yeah, they're very much shown in the struggles within Glasgow, especially the Red Clyde side, Second World War. And it's in the way they're depicted, they're quite dark, so you have to look very, very closely at them. And I, I personally think the reason he's done that is because he wants people to definitely engage with it and look and find out what's the story behind them, and especially like the Weavers riots and that as well, to, to know about your kind of your local history, right, fine. You can find out about all the world history you want, the whole Scottish history, but I think the thing that really needs to be kind of helped, especially if you're a Glaswegian, to hold close to your heart is your local history because that's technically where you come from and if you don't learn about that, how are you ever going to progress and change? If, rather than getting stuck in that cycle of, ah, okay, that was like a hundred years ago, sorry, didn't bother me. No, but there are still the same things that are happening, so especially with Ken Curry's done that and kind of looking at the the hardship that people have went through and that's what people are still struggling with now and I think that's something that might be really depressing talking about, but I think that's where your essence is as well. We can have talking about like, really difficult things, but we can always see a lighter side to it. There's always something good that we can bring out of it, especially if we're talking about it or your neighbours all getting together and it's... So how do people react to displays, some of the, the kind of really hard to displays like um, the bevy, for example, yeah. and also making ends meet, because that talks about um, poverty, Aye. doesn't it? And it talks about real Aye. kind of difficulties. It, yeah, definitely. Do people think that this mu- museum shouldn't engage with this kind of topic or do you think we should have a look at some of the kind of darker Aye. sides and things? Yep. Definitely, because um, nobody's ever, no, not anybody that I've engaged with, have went, oh, I shouldn't have that in here, but it's quite good, um, God, how do I say it, like in, a, in a, um, a funny manner, in a sense, because like you had obviously the pawn shops, whereas everybody's out and set cash converters type thing, yep. I'm not condoning them, <laughs> um, but like can I say, in, like, so if you think about a pawn shop, say when you're engaging even like teenagers when we're doing anything, you talk about like, so what's a pawn shop? No, all right, that's where you go and you can trade stuff in for money. And I'm like, so would you pawn jewellery? And I'm like, well, you could never pawn jewellery back then because the problem we had was your wedding band. It was the man's three-piece suit. That's how much you were kind of living on the edge. And then even going back further than that, if you couldn't keep your family, you've got the poor houses. Which and the idea of a poor house is, is just sounds utterly, utterly horrendous. Aye, because like, when you think about it, you can't take care of your family. You can't, you can't provide anything at all, and that's when you were put into a poor house. You were actually taken away from society, and as if you were a criminal, we just would not been able to. I know it wasn't meant to be seen. I know it was the churches and that that ran the majority of them, but that's how people and it was still even a stigma. Oh, I can't talk to anybody about in the poor house. It was like that stigma of somebody in your family. Yeah. Even generations ago, were in the poor house. They were like, was near my family to think. And you find that when people, especially with celebrities, do the um, who do you think you are when you just when they go back, some people are utterly horrified. Um, and I think that a lot of people come here to find themselves as much Aye. as and their family identity, their local identity. I think it's sorry. I think it inspires people to look into their history, their family. Definitely sorry. So what about the lighter side? And I will look at some of the dark <laughs> subjects. What other what other displays that make people laugh? Um, and make people smile. The barrel lines <laughs> and going down the water. 
So what's going down the water? Because <laughs> um, I'm not being slang, that's actually what it's called. Going down the water. Because um, a wee girl said to me, you're off your slang. And I was like, no, that's what, it, that's what it's called. It's about going um, within Glasgow. You had the Glasgow Fair. When everything, all the businesses, um, um, sites and all that shut down for two weeks. And then they would go on holiday, if you could afford that. Um, but you're more likely either your church or your work or something like that would take you away for a day trip. Down the water, go down the River Clyde, you can go to Rossi or Dunoon, and then there's just the whole thing about um, having a knitted swimming costume. A knitted <laughs> swimming costume? Uh, there's a knitted bikini upstairs. Fantastic. Can you imagine going in the water with a knitted bikini on? <laughs> Are you going to come out with that bikini back on? No. So what about the actual <laughs> Glasgow Green itself? What, what things take place here historical what, what, over the years? What kind of things took place on the Green itself with the palace is situated? So we've got the John Knox painting mm-hmm. and that's for the Glasgow Fair and that just shows you when you look at the painting for you can see where the Gorbals is meant to be but ah, it's kind of completely changed but there is such an eclectic mix of people that have came to the Green even back then it's and how that's still getting used now in the sense that we've got the Transmit Festival coming up, which we're starting to build. Well, not me personally, but they're starting to build for the now and just showing you there's you have your fireworks. You've got still got the shows that come here. And you still have loads and loads of people that just come to walk their dogs or just walk around the green. Is it true the green used to be used for executions, Laura? Aye. So people Aye. were actually executed. <laughs> how? In what way were they executed? Hanged. They were hanged. Hanged by the next. So where you've got the McClelland Arch is, which is down at the court. Uh-huh. When you look through where McClelland Arch is, that gives you a straight through look up to Nelson's Column. Uh-huh. Um, and it was around about that area. I think that's where the hangings were. So when somebody was hanged as well, you had the deed bell, uh-huh. which is a dead bell, which was ranged when the person was pronounced dead and by hanging. So did people actually turn out to look at a hanging? Aye, hundreds, 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 hundreds. So yeah, people. lots of people did. Um, yeah, it was kind of even kids were brought along to kind of look at the hangings. That's really and hard it, to understand, isn't it? I know, because we don't have capital punishment in the country anymore. Mm. But when you look at what people were hanged for, just on the green, because it did move from the green to like Duke Street Prison and then up to Berlin and that as well. Because a lot of people don't realise Berlin was used that way. Um, but kind of the things that they were kind of hanged for was like, like high, um, um, but high, um, high way robbery, um, housebreaking, just things that you wouldn't, you wouldn't get like a what a sentence time for that nowadays. Yeah. And oh, there is a, a man who went and killed his wife and his mother-in-law. <laughs> Which are, maybe some people that's all right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. On. So Laura, you clearly love your job. You can tell that you love your job. What do you? What in particular about your job do you really love? Engaging with people, just fine. And what them. kind of people do you engage with? All walks of life. What and ages? I, what kind of ages from? Um, from nursery level, so from like three up to ninety-three. Really. And it's it's good to get a So what kind of audience do you like working with? What's your favourite audience? That's a difficult one. I like them all Uh because everybody brings something. I know it sounds stupid, you shouldn't be looking for that, but everybody brings something different. So even a 
being nursery kid can make you open your eyes and go, oh, I never thought about it that way. That's such a really good idea. And then you might have somebody who's in their 90s tell you something like that. Really, I didn't know that. That's so what kind of stories have, have members of the public told you over the years? Is there anything that, that comes to mind? Any stories that people have told you? I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this one. Go for it. <laughs> um, Go for it. There was a, a man that was in, and it's talking about the toilet on the landing. So um, it was a Saturday, and it was only about seven, and he was at playing, so we had to use the toilet on the landing within the tenement building. And the way the toilet was, it didn't have a lock in the door, and there wasn't a light in it either. So he said he was in the toilet, then what he needed to do. So the, his next door neighbour had been at the pub, was slightly alleviated, didn't know where he was. But he thought, must have been, he said, oh, God, going to have a toilet before I get back into my single end. So he went into the toilet and didn't see the poor man or child at that point in time on the toilet. So he basically get peed on. <laughs> so the guy must have woke up the next day with a crack of a hangover going, oh, don't know what happened there. Oh! And gave me a peed in the vein last night and found out <laughs> that he did. So he went and chapped the door and the boy's mum, well, the man's mum, answered the door and said, oh, Sorry, don't worry. It shouldn't have been using the toilet anyhow. So he get a half a crown off of this guy, and he's at. <laughs> you know, get a, he actually get a doing after this because he said to the guy, "Oh, you can pay me every weekend if you want." <laughs> and I don't think his mum was very impressed because he had a sober hooky. But after that, we getting scalped. <laughs> Some of the stories that people tell you, like kind of, like a woman her dad's um, to be trying to help the woman next door. Didn't have enough money, so she gave the woman her dad's suit, but the mum didn't know that the dad had his money <gasps> in the suit, and the woman pawned the, the suit, and the dad was looking for his money. He's like, where, where, where's my suit? Oh, I just gave it to him. Well, see, it was Jeannie next door. Ah, I just got all my money. That's <laughs> it blank. I was inside of it, so they had to get it back out of the pawn shop because he, <laughs> that's where all the money was. You just think, imagine doing that now, Christ. And come back home with a shock. Well, Laura, we're going to have to finish yeah. there. We could sit and talk all day. Um, well, that's all we have time for today, folks, on Glasgow Museum's podcast. Remember to check us out on all our social media channels if you haven't done so already. And remember, you can also use the hashtag GMPodcast to keep the conversation going, especially if you have memories about some of the things that Laura's spoken around. Also, if you like what you've heard today, you can follow us right here on SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. So, until next time, I'm Harry Dunlop and this has been the Glasgow Museum's podcast. Thank you very much for listening.